it's noon o'clock. So let's get started. I'm so excited that everyone is here. My name is Amy Carter. I'm a policy analyst at Indiana Institute for Working Families, and I'm going to be emceeing inside the State House Zoom call. Um, as I said before, if you weren't on, this is our first time doing this, and we're excited, and we hope that it's interactive and informative. Um, and so we'll get started because Jessica has other things to do as well. Um, so we're going to start out with Jessica, our director at the Institute. And Jessica, I want to know a fun thing you did this week. So my fun thing that I'm going to talk about is something that is related to one of our top priorities this year. Um, as many of you know, we're focusing on a bill to improve TANF. But what you may not know is that TANF eligibility and benefits have not been updated since 1988. So um, I have spent part of my week this week building a playlist of songs that came out in 1988 to inspire us and make us remember uh, the fact that families have not had improvements in that long of time. So if you follow me on Twitter, you will probably see me tweeting out some of the songs that were hits in 1988 over the next week. I just tweeted out, don't worry, be happy this morning, which I distinctly remember riding the bus to and from second grade when that song came out. So that's my fun thing. That's awesome. And Jessica, on those lines, do you wanna tell us a little bit more about the TANF bill and maybe who has joined us and some basic info on TANF if we aren't up to speed? Sure. So um, the Senator John Ford from Terre Haute has authored for a few years running now a bill to increase TANF eligibility and benefits. The bill would take eligibility from $288 a month for a family of three, as an example, which is a set dollar amount in our statute and take it completely away from set dollar amounts and change it to a percentage of the federal poverty guidelines. For the family of three, our current eligibility equates to about 16% of federal poverty. Um, and so the bill would take it over two budget cycles or four years from 16 to 35 to 50. It also includes a cost of living adjustment in the benefit levels. And then the benefits would be updated every year with the social security COLA. So that's what the bill does. And we um, have had a lot of support this year. So Senator Grooms, who's the chair of the committee, Senator Ruckelshaus, Senator Merritt, Senator J.D. Ford and Senator Stoops have all joined Senator John Ford on the bill. And we just keep having conversations and trying to keep it moving through the process. Fantastic. Um, everyone just wanna remind you um, if you hopped on um, just a little afternoon that there is a chat feature if you are on your computer and you can ask questions or type comments there and I will moderate those. Um, Jessica, thank you for telling us about TANF. Um, I know you also gave testimony on a few bills this week. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you talked about and what those bills are? Sure. So um, Representative Goodrich has a bill, it's House Bill 1009, and that is a bill to um, help uh, families who are on TANF, SNAP, and Medicaid um, who may have students, high school students in their household, um, specifically for the SNAP population, it, it helps those kids who are maybe still seniors in high school, but they're already 18, so they're not legally minors. Um, and then for the TANF households, it helps all the children in the household and the family. If they are um, doing a work-based learning program as part of their high school work, 
and the wages that they would earn from that work-based learning program would not count towards their family's eligibility for TANF, SNAP, and Medicaid. Um, now for SNAP and Medicaid, the state will have to apply for waivers, but for TANF, this is something that we can change on our own through state policy. And our state policy is actually pretty restrictive. So with SNAP, minor children's income is exempt, but in TANF, um, if a minor child works full-time, their income does count towards their family's eligibility um, and the calculation for their benefits. If they only work part-time, it counts towards eligibility, but does not count towards the calculation for their benefits. So this would be the biggest change for our TANF families who may have students doing work-based learning programs. And then, um, you want me to just keep going on the next one, or did you want to? No, that would be great. Yeah, go ahead and tell us about the so, um, FAFSA. So uh, Senator Lysing has SB uh, 223, and it is a bill that requires students to fill out the FAFSA as a condition of graduation, although it does, a uh, high school graduation, I should say, although it does have some fail-safes, uh, some exemptions that can be done, some pretty easy opt-outs and waivers, um, basically asking families and students to make a conscious choice whether or not to fill out the FAFSA rather than just not knowing about it and not filling it out. Uh, when the Commission for Higher Education looked at our FAFSA um, completions, they saw that the majority of our wealthy schools also had the majority of our FAFSA filings, which I'm sorry, I should say the FAFSA is the free application for federal student aid. Um, and, the, and, and when you looked at our lower income schools, um, very few of the students in those schools were actually completing the FAFSA, although they would be eligible for full Pell benefits in many cases or some of the many need-based programs that Indiana does, which is counter, kind of counterintuitive because the primarily you think of the free application for federal student aid as the vehicle where students um, get access to student aid if they have need for college, but because so many merit-based scholarships also require the FAFSA in order to, um, as part of their application requirements, that's why you see a big heavy weighting towards um, students who maybe don't need as much of the assistance uh, from the federal and the state side. So this is just an effort to give greater access to the need-based aid that's, that exists. Um, with the exemptions, we felt comfortable with it. In other states that have done it, they have not seen a decline in graduation rates, but they have seen a huge in increase in FAFSA filers, so um, completion. So anyway, we hope that will will help. And so we um, we jumped on board. Great, thank you. Uh, I don't know if you all on the call know this, but we have a celebrity in our midst named Jessica exactly. Frazier, who was an attendee at the governor's State of the State address this week. So Jessica, how was it? It was really exciting and fun. Um, it was, it was definitely among a uh, way fancier company uh, than I am used to hanging out with. There were all of the sort of cabinet secretary level folks were, were in the gallery, um, lots of veterans and um, justices and, you know, just sort of people who've been really doing some interesting things. I was really excited to sit next to two of the folks from March of Dimes and we clapped as loud as we could when the governor mentioned pregnancy accommodations in his state of the state address. So it was very exciting to be there. It was an honor to be invited to represent the Institute and um, yeah, glad I got to go. It was a definitely a very interesting experience. 
That was a perfect segue, almost as if you knew what we were going to talk about next. <laughs> so um, Jessica has a board call with Skills Coalition, so she's going to go do her work. All those things. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the rest of this call. And we are going to talk to Erin Macy, our senior policy analyst, about pregnancy accommodations. Erin, why is this important? Tell us more about um, um, about what this is and why we're even having this discussion. Um, pregnancy accommodations in the workplace. Okay, this is something that we've been uh, writing and thinking about for a while now. And there are just a host of reasons that this has brought together a really big coalition of health groups, employer groups, um, and advocates like us that are concerned about financial well-being. Um, so some of the things that we see happening, number one, we want to make sure women feel comfortable asking for what they need when they're pregnant in the workplace. We hear from a lot of women, uh, particularly in low-wage and precarious jobs, that they are afraid to talk to their employer about their needs, um, even if it's something as simple as more frequent breaks or a place to sit down um, during the workday. So one is making sure they're comfortable. Two, one of the things that we see happen is employers through an abundance of caution will put women on unpaid leave uh, when um, an adjustment might allow her to continue working and continue earning a paycheck. So again, that's really important because women are becoming more and more um, primary or sole breadwinners for their families and they need to stay employed, particularly since we don't have any uh, national or state level paid family leave, paid maternity leave. They need to save up that time for those weeks after they give birth. And so many want to continue working all the way till the end of pregnancy. Third, a reason this isn't an issue at all is that federal law and state law are really unclear about um, what's required of employers. So employers may be required to provide accommodations to a pregnant woman under the Americans with Disability Act or our state disability law. They may be required to provide accommodations under our sex discrimination law because if they provided accommodations to uh, another employee then it would be sex discrimination to not provide those to a pregnant woman. So there's a lot of litigation on this issue that's costly for employers. Um, and I think they see the benefit of just clarifying um, the expectations for employers and having a process through our Civil Rights Commission, which offers mediation um, and is much easier to navigate than say the courts, um, that this would be a real benefit to them as well. So it's brought together a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Of course, we're trying to prevent preterm birth and maternal mortality. Those are the governor's priorities. And again, not asking for those accommodations in the workplace that can lead to preterm birth, which is the leading cause of infant mortality in our state. Tell me a little more about the support you have for this bill, like coalitions, um, yeah. having it on the governor's agenda and, and being at the state of the state with Jessica. What does that mean for the bill? What does that mean? Yeah, well, it's, it's really helpful to have the governor behind the bill, Dr. Box at the state. Um, Commission of Health has been a huge supporter, and I think she's seen this, you know, in her practice as an OBGYN, uh, writing notes to employers and having a, kind of a runaround around just really simple accommodations. Um, it's nice in the state house, as we've been meeting with lawmakers, we're working with folks from the Indianapolis Chamber of Commerce, from the Catholic Conference, Hoosier Action came to the state house and um, did a day of action that included this bill. Um, so we're, 
we're hitting all of the lawmakers. We're, we're adding co-authors. We're explaining how the bill works. We're looking forward to a committee hearing on Monday the 27th. So things are moving forward. This seems like uh, a no-brainer and we look forward to, to getting this one across the finish line in March and making sure that um, moms and babies are healthy and women are able to continue working. And tell us again what the bill number is and tell us again where that is in the legislative process. If you have it in front of you, we have, um, that was one of the questions in the comments. Sure. So Senate bill three, I want to say 342, somebody check me. Um, it's Senator Alting's bill. He's from Lafayette and we're going to be up there doing a press conference with him on Friday um, in support of the bill. It's been assigned to the Family and Children Committee, that Senator Grooms Committee, and he is a co-author on the bill, um, as well as several other committee members. Um, so we feel really good about our votes in that committee right now, although contacting those committee members, especially if you have a particular reason to care about this issue or you are they are your lawmaker, would be especially helpful. You were correct about the bill number. It is Senate Bill 342, and the link to that bill is in the chat feature if um, you guys want to go look at that on the um, General Assembly website. Great. Cool. Okay, so what are there actions that people can take on that other than you said calling the committee members? Anything else that people can do to help this along? So the committee members are really helpful, um, but also just contacting your specific lawmaker and asking them to co-author the bill as a show of support. Um, in the Senate, we're open to as many authors as, as wanna be on it. There's a house version of the bill and I don't remember the number, that's more limited, so they may not be able to sign on, but we're gonna have to get it through the house eventually. So just calling them and asking them to support the legislation would be really helpful. Great. And if you're nervous about it, uh, call on a weekend and you can leave a message with the same information and impact, um, but you wouldn't have to talk to a person if that makes you nervous. Um, okay, so let's talk about consumer protections. Mm -hmm. What does that include this year? What, um, how is that affecting low-income families and what are we seeing? Yeah, well, many of you know that we've been um, fighting an ongoing battle around high cost lending in our state. Last year, we saw a really um, aggressive um, and multidimensional bill that included everything from um, allowing payday lenders to offer installment loans and uh, bringing a new lender to the state that has a particularly um, not good model of, of lending and uh, increasing the cost of things like car loans. Um, we're seeing some of those same bills pop up again, this time separately. Um, so they seem to be trying a, a division strategy of uh, what, what can we win here. In the meantime, we have our bill that we're championing, Senate Bill 26, to, um, to cap payday loans at 36%. Um, there's also going to be good legislation around online lending and just kind of strengthening our toolbox around that. I feel like it's really important to say we do have protections in the state against online lending. So if you know someone who has a really egregious um, contract for an online loan that they that they got, um, reach out to us because we it may be that 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 contract can be declared void um, and that that lender could be held accountable. So. Um, Legislation would strengthen those protections that, that we have in our state, 
Um, we hope to see one of those two bills move, but right now we do see on the calendar one of the um, one of the rate increase bills, unfortunately, for next Wednesday. That is frustrating to hear. Um, so are there people that we have support from for a cap or for the protections on online lending? And are there, are there big challenges if we don't have the support that maybe we will want? So we're continuing to do a same that we're, thing we're doing on pregnancy accommodations in TANF and just go have those conversations and get uh, folks signed on as co-authors to show that there's strong support for the legislation. Um, and that's another thing you can continue to do. And we'll, um, we'll be posting a blog about the bill that's getting a hearing on Wednesday, just to kind of walk you through what it does um, and just how much it could increase the cost of uh, loans in Indiana for some of our lowest income borrowers. So keep an eye out for that. We will send that early next week is the plan. Um, and these are things that you can just make phone calls. You don't even have to know a bill number if you if you don't have it and say these are issues that concern me. Um, I'm concerned about online lending and expensive loans and things like that. So um, Aaron, I know this is frustrating to continue fighting this. So what is something fun that you did this week to kind of add some levity to the legislative session? Well, I'll, I'll piggyback on that theme of fighting. So we, you know, we had made a playlist for session to kind of like get you psyched up going into the building. And I was listening to it in my car on my way to the state house, but then I got a phone call. So I was on the phone walking into the building and a representative was behind me opening the door for me. I turned off my phone call and the music came back on and it was the song by Christina Aguilera, Fighter. Uh, yeah, so that started playing very loudly while this lawmaker was next to me. And I was like, okay, well, if that's the reputation I get, I guess that's okay. <laughs> I think that is your reputation of being a fighter for these things. So <laughs> hopefully the legislators find it funny too. Um, okay, so next up is me. And I am batting cleanup for the Institute. So I don't have these issue areas like Erin and Jessica, but I kind of gather up all of the, all of the bills that could be related to working families and make sure I go to committee and I'm talking to people about them. So the priorities change each week, depending on what bills have hearings and what things seem to be moving that relate to our working families. Um, one that we went to this week was on um, driver's license suspensions if the vehicle, your vehicle, was used in a drug crime. Um, so it it basically, it did pass and basically we were supportive of it because we want people to keep their licenses if they're able to so they can go to work, so they can um, take their kids to daycare, so they can continue to provide for their families. So um, supportive of that. Um, we also were looking at indigency determinations. So indigency is um, determined by courts when people are low income and, and don't have the ability to pay. Um, and it 
this bill would create some parity. So um, the discussion was about different courts and different counties were having different determinations. So you could be indigent in one court and not another, or one county and not another. And this kind of just sets up some guidelines so that that is a, um, a more balanced and fair determination. Um, and we are supportive of this because we know that fees and court costs can get really high. And so this would um, kind of allow some people who may not have the ability to pay to still have access to um, the justice system and not be punished for not having the ability to pay for things. Um, that was held, there will still be more discussion on that one. So we will keep watching that. And then there are a lot of bills about resident tuition rates for military spouses and dependents. Um, and this is especially important to me because my husband is a veteran and I know how hard it is to move around and not have residency, especially as a spouse, if you want to get more education or um, if you have dependents who need to go to school. So we are watching several of those. The one this week that had a hearing was 1072. So we will continue to follow along with all of those and kind of see which ones wash to the top. Um, and of course, we're supportive of access to college. And as we know, resident tuition rates are much cheaper than out-of-state tuition rates. So if we can extend those rates to service members, dependents, and spouses, then that can really increase access to education here. Um, and I also work for Community Action. We are a program of Community Action, but I work in a different program. And I work on two generation programs with some of our community action agencies. And so yesterday we had a big training and I got to interact with 10 different agencies from across the state and see the amazing people that are doing anti-poverty work um, all the way from South Bend to Tell City and all the way over um, to the Ohio line and all the way over to the Illinois line. We had people from all over there. Um, so I love hanging out with our community action agencies and that's one of the perks of being in this position. So now our new segment, well, it's all new, but an exciting segment called Go Watch This. This <laughs> is where we talk about the bills that we have sent our intern Pamela to. Uh, the intern gets to watch all of the bills that maybe aren't our tier one and two bills that Jessica and Aaron are going to, and maybe aren't the bills I'm cleaning up, but are all the other bills that we need to know what's happening. Um, so go watch this. Pamela, what happened this week? <laughs> um, well, I went to a couple of different ones. I sat on uh, House Bill 1007, which discusses about the leftover surplus, um, 200 or $291 million surplus. Uh, that bill is moving pretty fast. It was assigned to appropriations and I went to that. Um, they're just deciding how they're going to give the money to the institutions for them to fix the buildings and they decided to do it with cash. And then I went to SB 267, which is about um, the 211 services uh, the more likely will be joining um, the FSSA. Um, they're just trying to make it broaden 
and bigger so that they're able to reach out to more people that need it. And then Houseville 1091, which is very similar to Amysville, um, Houseville 1072 is also talking about how it will give um, in-state tuition for dependents of military people because they move a lot. So I think that's a good one. Um, and then for one of the bills that Jessica testified for it was uh, Senate Bill 223, which will require a high school graduation for you to file the FOSFA. Um, you know, just be, I don't know, able to reach more kids that need it and probably think that they don't have the benefits to go to school, but they don't know about all these extra things that they qualify for, free money and scholarships. Um, and then SB 177, which is about merging, or it's kind of like expanding the broadband program. And they're going to give um, merger with Orca, which is an organization that has a bigger footprint on communities. And, you know, internet is a thing that a lot of people lower income don't have and kind of like makes the threshold bigger. Um, and then, yeah, so those are the things that I went to. Um, I also sat on the SB 39 of the House Senate or the Senate floor and <laughs> my computer fell on my lap in the middle of uh, Representative Taylor talking and it was super quiet and it was kind of embarrassing. That was my embarrassing part this week. <laughs> what was something fun that happened this week? Um, I met I met uh, Senator Bro, which was kind of cool. Um, yeah, she's cool. And I also met uh, JD Four and Walker Crane, and also Representative Claire. This is the end of week two. Um, we have one more thing. Aaron wants to talk about. Bye, Carrie. Thank you. Um, paid leave. Tell us yes. what. Have an embarrassing moment that I think tops yours where I threw all of my papers in the middle of the hallway, like just accidentally, and a bunch of lawmakers started helping me pick them up. So I said, Hey everyone, pregnancy accommodations is, is important, and here's a bunch of papers about why. <laughs> so we turned you know embarrassment into an opportunity to advocate, right? It's a fighter song. Um, but you mentioned House Bill uh, 1007, which which reminded me it's been such a long week, um, and I'd forgotten that. We had a really exciting development on paid family and medical leave, which is another issue we work on. And I know a lot of other groups really care about. Um, we're working towards creating a program that would cover all workers in Indiana. And um, because that bill really opened up a conversation about how we're spending the surplus, um, Representative Campbell, who's carrying that bill, was able to get up on the floor and explain how a paid family and medical leave program would work and all of the potential benefits. She mentioned March of Dimes and AARP and some of the groups that are um, supporting the legislation. And while the, the House decided that this wasn't the place to establish, establish such a program, it was a really neat opportunity to um, to see that issue discussed. Um, it, it got some media attention. And so 
Um, our goal really on that bill is to get some co-authors as well. So if that's an issue you care about, um, Representative Campbell has the bill and um, we're working on co-authors for that. That's great. So um, next week, let us tell you what's going on. Um, as Erin said, on Wednesday, there is a committee hearing um, on 327. Is that I'm, I'm going to nickname that bill 36% on everything except payday loans, or maybe okay. car loans get a raise. I'm not really sure. If you can think of a clever name for a bill that lets people charge, currently they can charge 25%. On large loans, this would allow them to charge 36%. So think about your car loan at 36%. That's a really hefty increase. Um, it's looking like about $5,000 or more for uh, some of these loans. So um, that's going to be heard on Wednesday. That's Wednesday. And then you said there's press conference this next week, Erin. Tell us more. Two. There's one on Thursday for the Equality Pays Coalition. So we're going to go to that and talk about um, the gender wage gap in Indiana and some of the contributing factors to that, including lack of reasonable accommodations for pregnant workers and paid family leave. And then on Friday up in Lafayette, we're going to do specifically um, a, a pregnancy accommodations press conference. Fantastic. And of course, we will do our best to share those articles, live stream if we're there, pictures, all that kind of stuff, um, which takes me to our social media. We have Twitter and Facebook, which you probably know about, but this year we're doing a lot with our Instagram. So if you are on Instagram or you have friends who are or kids who are or whatever, we are at in.institute. And we hope that you will follow us and interact and share our um, stuff so that that can be another platform where we can reach people about these critical issues um, here at the State House. So I think that's our show for today. And I'm so excited that you guys were here. Um, if you have feedback or suggestions, please um, feel free to email. You can email me at A-C-A-R-T-E-R at incap.org. That's a carter at incap.org. And um, we will be here again next week at noon and we will send out that link again. And thank you so, so much, you guys, for coming to the inaugural issue of Inside the State House via Zoom. Have a good weekend. Bye.